Welcome to Seven Skills for the Future podcast. My name is Emma Sue Prince, and this podcast is based on the internationally selling book by the same name. This book focuses on seven important skills. They are adaptability, critical thinking, empathy, integrity, being proactive, being optimistic, and being resilient. And this podcast is all about how you can bring these skills into your everyday life so that you are living a life full of happiness, full of purpose, great relationships, doing work that you love, and just really getting the most out of life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Seven Skills for the Future podcast. Uh, This is James, just with a quick message to tell you that this is part two today of an interview with Dr. Jack Lewis. So if you haven't heard part one yet, then just go back in your podcast feed and you'll find it there as the previous episode. So I highly recommend you go and do that. Listen to it in case you haven't heard the first part. And now, for the rest of the episode, you can hear the rest of Emma Sue's fascinating interview with Dr. Jack Lewis. People have so much on their phones. I mean, they've got their email and they've got their personal life and they've got their apps and they've got things that track things and yeah. you know they've got everything in their phones yeah. so how does one sort of break away from that or? well first you don't ever ask or answer the question is technology good or bad because that is an ill-posed question because like you say there's a variety of different things on your phone some of them are good mm. like when I'm on the move I can carry on staying in touch with emails I don't get a flood of emails every day but it's important mm. for me to be timely with some of them uh, it doesn't hold me back I don't have to stay in you know anchored to the umbilical cord of my, of my PC or laptop, you know? I, I have freedom to reign, and I think a lot of people benefit from that. But the negative side of it is, if your colleagues know that you will answer emails after 6pm, mm-hmm. then you'll be harassed through the night, and it will ruin your capacity to regulate your stress levels, and so your life will go to shit. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's, it's inevitable, yeah. so you've got to give clear messages to people. Out of offices saying, I can be contacted between these hours. Mm-hmm. If you reset their expectations, perhaps even saying between, you know, you, I check, I will respond to these either between 11 a.m. Mm-hmm. and midday or between 4 p.m. and 5 p.m. And please don't expect a quick response outside of Very polite, putting mm-hmm. out parameters, showing people where the lines are. And if people have a problem with it, well, they can either get screwed because, quite frankly, you're... Your investment in chilling out a little bit in the evening makes you a better person the next day. It makes you more capable when you've had a time to sort of slowly chill out from the day. Then when you get off to sleep, you stay asleep for the requisite eight hours. And if you're not getting eight hours, then you're not the kind of person you could be the following day. That's, I mean, you're a man after my own heart. I really, really agree, agree so much what you're saying. But it makes me sad as well because I, I, just this morning I was talking to somebody, coaching somebody, um, who's a lawyer and they were talking about they were saying that they had to ask they had to actually I mean it's good because she's setting a boundary which I wanted her to do but she's had to say between 5 and 7 p.m. when I need to get to my kids I'm not going to be able to answer emails but I'll be back on at 7 so she's going home well she's halfway there she's ha- I know <laughs> we're working on it we're working no no but the corporate but, lawyers they, they know what they signed up for right they, they yeah. know 
true. Like you're, you're you're getting a disproportionate. I'm saying I'm dating one at the moment, so I know for a fact <laughs> you're getting a dis- disproportionately well remunerated compared to other people in whatever true. city you work in, and mm. you know that the hours are horrible, and you signed up to it. So, like, whilst I have sympathy, it's like it's not yeah. not like it's someone who isn't highly able and could choose a different, less well-paid job and have a better work-life balance. So there are other industries where I feel tremendously sorry for them, like teachers, people whose aim in life is to do mm. good in the world. Mm. And for them, when they're still expected to be working until midnight, I think that's, I think I have all the sympathy in the world for yeah. them. I just have slightly less sympathy. Not for the corporate life. For, for the corporate But it's world. across a lot of different industries. But I think they understand this, this issue. They're pretty objective, cold-minded <laughs> individuals in my experience. Sorry, Nicola. Uh, but, but it is across lots of industries this yeah. kind of like ex- expectation yeah 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 sure sure yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that no it's fine <laughs> I, yeah. think, I think it is everywhere but um, yeah. but it's just really refreshing to hear you to hear you talk about this so, so the guidance is because these things do so many things shepherd very closely what is in your flock yes the apps that you allow on your phone Last January, I was visiting my friend in northern Thailand. He's been living there for ten years. He's got a, he farms his own rice. He's got a very different outlook on life. And he's like, mate, you keep going onto Facebook on your phone. Just delete that shit. Mm-hmm. And and it, the way he said it, he wasn't being preachy. He wasn't sort of being a know-it-all. It was just an observation from his perspective. Someone who's carving himself a very different kind of life. Um, you know, literally farming in the northern Thai highlands. He's not on a party island or anything. It's a very kind of relaxed, organic lifestyle. Uh, and I was like, you know what, you're right. And I didn't do it straight away because I was in the habit of getting that little social, little droplets of re- reassurance of, oh, you know, someone liked my photo, that's nice. And, oh, someone's had a baby. And, you know, you stay in touch with it. But now, I deleted it then and there. And so for this year, I've done that sort of A-B testing. I can compare 2019 to 2018. And I'm considerably happier this year mm-hmm. when I go on, as I did today, once a month, check way too many notifications, the 90% of which are a complete waste of time <laughs> and I'm not interested in any shape, you know, any way, shape or form. Um, uh, but, but, then, but then there were a couple of things I plucked out of that that were vital. Stay yes. in touch with someone that I haven't seen for ages. Uh, someone, you know, giving me a pat on the back for launching a new YouTube channel. And, but I, it didn't have to disturb me on mm. a daily basis. Mm. By deleting... So I did delete Facebook from my life. That's the next step. But deleting it from my phone meant the number of things I can mess around with when I'm yes. idle is, is reduced yeah. fundamentally. Yeah. Yeah. So like, for example, Twitter, at Lewis is my Twitter handle. And for me, that's, that's business. That's like... I look for I look for good neuroscience research that's been published in the lay press. I think it's been well covered. It's high value and relevant to people's daily lives. Only then do I tweet. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. consider myself like a, a broadcasting system for good brain science accessible mm-hmm. to normal people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because that's work related, I allow it to be on there. Yes. Because I don't always, you know, I try to do it every day. Usually, it ends up yes. being every other day, and I need it with me so yes. I can fill that idle moment with something productive and satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's tick. I, I, I'm scrutinizing each and every app, and if it doesn't satisfy a few important criteria, like is it improving or ultimately it, it tallies to, is it improving my quality of life or decreasing my quality of life overall? Mm-hmm. But I don't think many people do this this spring cleaning of mm-hmm. this. You know, no. famously, Silicon Valley uh, apparently knows that whenever people download apps, they never bother deleting it because mm-hmm. they're rarely in a situation where. It's the data taken up by the apps that's stopping them doing something. It's always photos or videos or something else. The apps don't get deleted. Yes. And, and you know when you see people's screens have 
like, let's say there's 20 different boxes on the screen, and then each of those boxes are actually menus that have nine different apps inside of them. And so it's like 20 times nine. Like, mm. what? That's thousands. <laughs> Is it? Mm. Yeah, mm. thousands. Not quite that. Hundreds, hundreds of apps, and it's like you don't need hundreds of apps. It's bonkers. And what is that doing to your brain when you have all those apps on there and you're flitting from one to the other? It's it is displacing time that you could be investing in something worthwhile. For example, staring into space and letting your mind wander, and pouring it into something that serves someone else's. it serves someone else's needs, not your own. Mm. I want to talk to you before we go. I just want to talk to talk about virtual reality. Oh, because okay. that's your next. Yeah, yeah. Thing, well, I'm a minute. I'm a turn. Minute. In. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so virtual good. reality, it's can change the world. It's always had the potential. It's been around for 50 years. There's been several false dawns where it went from being a niche thing being done in laboratories to you're like, yeah, everyone's going to have a VR ring in their house in like five to ten years' time. The horizon's always five to ten years' time, five to ten years' time. But this time, it's true. And it all starts this Christmas. Because (laughs) Oculus, no, really, Oculus um, released a sort of standalone headset a couple of years ago, the Oculus Go, and it was was all right. It was a bit crap, you know? PlayStation VR, they offer, anyone who's got a PlayStation 4 can plug in a a VR headset. It's fiddly to set up. You know, it's tracking you from just a couple of cameras that you put on top of your TV, but it's tracking from one direction, which means if you drop something on the floor, quite often you can't pick it up again. So both early Oculus and affordable early mm. Oculus and, and PlayStation virtual reality rigs, they're just not up to standard. So people would try it and go, wow, it's pretty, oh, this is amazing when they're first in it. And then it would glitch and they get annoyed, they might get dizzy and they'd be like, well, VR's rubbish, isn't it? And then they, they never do it again, which does the whole industry a disservice. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the one that I went with, because I did a lot of research before I bought my first rig three years ago, it was HTC Vive. So for that, you've got the headset, you've got the handsets, uh, but you need to plug it into quite a powerful graphics PC. So that means I'm pretty much future-proof for the next 10 years, because if ever you know, the industry evolves and, and you need a more powerful computer, well, with a PC, you take out one graphics card and stick out another one. Well, you can have two graphics cards if you get the right motherboard. So this whole sort of just changing the components in your computer, there's loads of stuff on YouTube that can help you do it. Like, I'd never built a PC before, and I very slowly and carefully followed it. And, and, and got, So I got the headset three years ago, but I didn't get the computer to run it until a year ago. <laughs> so I've only really been doing it for a year. But in that time... Um, I was like listening to podcasts on, on VR specialists in the industry, talking to all sorts of people, and I've realised that there's a real turning point now because Oculus released a product called Oculus Quest, mm-hmm. and that's a standalone headset, so it doesn't you don't need a computer to plug it. We need a computer to load stuff up onto it, but you're not plugged into a computer. Um, and so you're, you're free, it's lightweight, the battery's in the headset, the screens are in the headset, the games are in some computer chip in the mm-hmm. headset. And there's not a huge selection of things you can do, but for four or five hundred quid, you get an absolutely top of the range virtual reality experience. And that's a game changer. Mm. Because it used to be for two, three hundred quid, you get a pretty crap VR experience. Yeah. And now, a little bit more, like it's, it's comparable with the price of a console. So, from the perspective that 
parents might say, you know, parents who maybe done well that year and they're going to be particularly generous, combine a birthday present and a Christmas present for their kid, they might conceivably, you know, mommy, daddy, can I have a VR headset? It's like, well, yeah, Oculus Quest only 400 quid, so all right, we'll <laughs> give it a go. So that's the point where suddenly the market expands dramatically. It used to be, so when I first went into a, a VR experience, it was, I was studying my PhD, University College London, a couple of doors down the road on Gower Street, there was a virtual reality lab headed by Mel Slater. We got the chance to go in there, he showed us around, he showed us the experiences his students had put together, and it was a £300,000 rig. You know, fast forward 15 years, and you can get an experience that's not just as good, but better mm. for 400 quid. Things have changed dramatically, and, and, and you know, as the market grows, and, and I, I genuinely think people will start seeing that they're their friends, the early adopters, it will be more and more common yes. for people to have it just sitting on the shelf, you know, on the bookcase in their house. Yeah. They won't necessarily use it every day, yeah. but it's, it's, it's expanding out of the world of medical training, it's expanding out of the world of safety training and engineering, it's expanding out of the world in like, you know, they've been using an architecture for ages mm-hmm. uh, daily with clients to not show them plans on 2D, but take them into the space and go, look, look, mm-hmm. if you put the windows a bit higher, look how much more light comes in. Like, it's so much more compelling and when you've got someone in a VR experience like a podcast is great because you own someone's ears right? <laughs> their eyes can roam they might be doing the cleaning they might be going for a jog they might be commuting they can do other things but they have their attention in terms of the part of the brain that the machinery of the brain which processes sort of speech and language and concepts you've got them when yes. they're listening to when they've chosen to listen to their podcast you know they've chosen a time where they can concentrate usually uh, with VR you've got all their ears 360 sound up, down, left, right, forward you know, north, south, east, west you can tell exactly where the sound's coming from in the world that's been built and you've got 360 by 360 um, uh, control over what they're seeing they look up they see the yeah. sky you built you look down so when you the reason I'm tremendously excited about this is, is the early products whereby you can be in an experience with other people yeah they're very basic like the avatar that represents you is just like a floating ball for a head and floating mm. hands but it's amazing how much body language you can convey when interacting with Alexander from Germany and Said from Saudi Arabia and God, in rec room there's like hundreds of children who should be at school in the United States just causing chaos but but you can tell a little bit more it's not just their voice mm. but the way they act the way they move their hands and gesticulate um, the fact that when you move from one part of the room to another and you move next to someone their voice comes in through the correct ear at mm-hmm. the correct amplitude when you move away from them it gets quieter so this sense of being genuinely present you, you, you can make people genuinely present genuinely present in a room in an environment no problem at all because you own their eyes and ears but to make them feel like they have a social presence in and alongside other people you get it for free Mm. you just have to work out how to get people in the same experience that's where I'm at in my learning I'm one term into a four term masters in uh, virtual reality and I'm building things and now all I care about is how can I get I want want my brother you know I live in I live near Tower Bridge my brother lives in Ballon. I'm originally from West London. My mate, uh, Tom, get him involved. And then that guy I was talking about, George in Thailand. I want the four of us to get together 
and play some games, mm. my games. Mm. And so that's my next challenge. How do I get everyone in? Because if you think of it from a, from a business perspective, once you've, once you've done it just as a hangout for your mates so that you can be together even though you're in far-flung places, yeah. uh, you know, imagine doing it in business. You, you can, to have that presence in the room at the conference, you don't have to get on a plane. Carbon footprints come plummeting yes. down. Airlines go, go under, but fine, <laughs> let's save the planet instead. Mm. It's more convenient. It will never completely substitute for, for being able to shake hands, embrace, kiss, kiss, hello. Like mm. that physical touching is mm. important to the social animal that is the human, vitally important. Uh, but, you know, compared to being on Skype, mm. you feel like you're in the room with those people and then you'll be able to come up with virtual reality things. So like, for example, when you high five someone, your motion controller buzzes when it detects that your hands have occupied the same mm. space. If you reach your hand out to handshake and click at the same time, the hands, you see the hands, uh, fingers grab each other mm. and then it'll kind of like make a little graphical sort of little explosion around your hand as well as a vibration. Mm. So there are ways of simulating touch, yeah. which actually, it gets you, instead of 50% of the way there, it gets yeah. you 75% of the way there. So that, you know, we'll always have to meet up in person, and, and I hope that's the case. I don't want Ready Player One to become a reality. <laughs> but think of the lonely people. Like, loneliness kills, that's what Science of Sin taught me. And there are lots of people who can't get to be near their loved ones. And you can create that tremendous sense of intimacy where you feel like you're in the room mm. with your grandkids, your nieces, your, your, you know, mm -hmm. your loved ones in life. Um, I think it could really have a healing effect. And whilst 2D gaming on a flat screen mm. made people fat, virtual reality <laughs> gaming will make people fit. Because they'll be moving around. Because the best games encourage people to move around in a three by three meter space. You can often choose to sit down. I would say never ever <laughs> take that option unless you're really knackered. <laughs> Jack, thank you so much for your Pleasure. time. Really, really appreciate having you on the show today. It's been really great. And if our listeners want to find out more about you yeah. and what you're doing, how can they find you? Oh, there's a number of ways. Uh, drjack.co.uk is probably the best place to start. Uh, I've been writing a monthly uh, blog for the last nearly 10 years. So it's always about some neuroscience-related topic mm -hmm. that's in my head or some projects I've been working on. Um, I've also got a YouTube channel uh, called Brain Man VR Reviews, so Brain Man Virtual Reality Reviews. We're on episode 11. I just, I'm uploading now as I talk to you, <laughs> as I speak to you. But that is... a. Uh, Every week, I review a different VR game from the perspective of a neuroscientist oh, in the sense of how I can get people using whatever rig they've got, I can mm -hmm. get them using it better, getting more out of the experiences. Um, and then, yeah, read my books. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and your books? Your sort, books sort, sort Your Brain Out is yeah. the first one. A good one for getting kids into science is The Mice You Sing for Sex. Uh, which is like a podcast I did where we took all the science stories and mm -hmm. put them into this sort of compendium. And then the last one was The Science of Sin. Great, thank you. Make sure all those are on the show notes as well. Thank you so much. Pleasure, thanks. Thank you for listening to the seven skills for the future podcast there are all sorts of things you can do to boost each of the seven skills if you want more ideas you can buy the book seven skills for the future you can also go online to our website unimenta 
and join as a member and you'll be able to access more resources, ideas and free downloads. If you have a question you want to ask on these podcasts, get in touch through Instagram at 7skillsforthefuture or on Twitter and Facebook at Unimenta. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice.